This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. And remember, for all of your wagering needs, Go to the ever-improving uh, Bet Rivers app. It'll have everything you need there as we head towards another football season as uh, rookies starting to report and uh, veterans are just a couple of days away as training camps will open up across America and the National Football League. Now, uh, before I get to uh, Barkley and everything going on with him, a little on the Yankees because right now the Yankees' case becomes more dire by the day. And, and again, uh, to me... As they sink into the West, and they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10, and they can't score, and they're anemic offensively, and they're dominated by mediocre pitching night after night. Last night, they get two hits. And Torres has been on a tear. Other than that, nobody in the lineup is doing anything. Uh, and I watch Aaron in the press conference after the game, and I, I wonder if he's gotten delusional. I mean, I, I really do. He talks about how the new batting instructor, the new batting coach, Casey, has influenced them. Oh, really? He's influenced them? Great. You know what? Uh, They haven't done anything better since they made that abrupt change at at the All-Star break. So that's a bunch of nonsense. If you're waiting on the batting instructor to make your team better, you will wait a very long time. It is utter nonsense. The bottom line is the Yankees parade bad hitter after bad hitter to the plate. They have a bunch of unproven people that they continue to count on. Or they count on guys who are older and have just not been able to get the job done. Luckily, Donaldson doesn't have to be paraded to the plate anymore this season. Yes, he yanked a couple of them out of the park, but other than that, he hit 130. And they are getting absolutely nothing out of Rizzo. And very little out of LeMayu. And we know that Stanton has always been streaky. But let's be honest. Keeping him in the lineup is one thing. When he's in the lineup, getting him to be a consistent force is another thing. I mean, you know what? You need more out of Stanton than what you've got this year. The guy has a 196 batting average and 11 home runs. He's knocked in 29 runs. There are, you know, utility men who've knocked in that many runs. There are bad-hitting catchers who've knocked in that many runs. I mean, the Yankees continue to talk about how they have all these good players. See, we all do the same thing. We all have gotten conditions. Why not? It's been that way for over 20 years that they're going to the playoffs. They're going to win 90 games. They're going to the playoffs. And then we'll t- see what happens in the playoffs. And we'll judge our disappointment based on the performance in the postseason. But there will be a postseason. 
and we act like it's automatic. And you know what? We should stop acting like it's automatic because right now, this morning, they're two and a half out in the wild card. Now, if you put a gun to my head, do I think the Yankees will make the postseason? The answer is yes, because they can go out and add people and they have a roster that is full of expensive people. They have paid for pitching. They have hard throwers in the bullpen, and I've told you time and again throughout this entire season that that bullpen is overrated. And I think it has shown itself how many times, just in the last couple of days, blowing two-run leads back-to-back nights. Two two-run leads in, in Colorado in the rubber match, and then a 3-1 lead in Anaheim the other night. And last night, another night where they are dominated, not beaten, dominated by a mediocre pitcher. And it is easy out after easy out, poor contact, strikeouts. Volpe's gone back into a huge funk. He has struck out 103 times this year. He chases the high fastball all over the place. They've been losing to teams that are 500 and below. When they get back to playing the teams in that division, those teams can play. The Yankees have to up their game then. And maybe they'll have Judge back, and that will be a big lift. And maybe Rizzo will come out of whatever is going on. I have to feel. And maybe I'm giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt. You know what? Maybe I am. But I have to feel injury because of the fact that he knows he needs to be there with Judge out of the lineup. I mean, I'm thinking that. I don't know that it's true. Maybe I'm giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt. He is now at that point when guys slow down appreciably. See, Stanton has always been streaky, and he's at that point. LeMayu's at that point. Rizzo's going on 34. That's when guys slow down. LeMayu's 35. That's when guys break down. Stanton's going on 34. He has always been brittle. He's very powerful, but he's always been brittle. It's hard for him to stay on the field, and he's always been woefully inconsistent. When he's hot, can he carry a club? Absolutely. When he's hot, he can be as dynamic as any player in the sport. But when has he been hot this year? What, for two games in a row? Maybe. I mean, his overall numbers are atrocious. They put out a team every night now that has one guy in the lineup hitting over 250. Has nobody in the lineup that has an 800 OPS. Anywhere near an 800 OPS. You got teams that have six guys in the lineup with 800 OPSs. They have none. These are the New York Yankees. And two guys in the lineup who have over a 300 on base percentage. Two. And you wonder why they don't score runs. Let's be honest. They need a big corner outfield left-handed power bat. Case closed. They need a leadoff hitter. Case closed. And they need Judge back in the lineup. Case closed. 
That's why they're getting beat against bad teams and losing series to the Cardinals, to the Cubs, to the Rockies. And the Rockies were bad, and they lost two out of three and blew two two-run leads late in the game. When do you see the Yankees ever get out homered? They're being out homered consistently. It's not too late, obviously. They're two and a half back. But the idea that they can just sit there now 100 games into this season and tell you everything's fine. I see us coming out of it. Wait, people are going to pay for this. You know what? This team isn't making anybody pay for anything. They very well might make the playoffs. Because there's not that many strong teams in the league. And they'll add things, I expect, as we get towards August. But anything that would make you think this team is going to, you know, rock the world in the postseason, give me a break. You should be happy if they just get there. Mets win last night. They almost gave it away. I guarantee you when you were watching and Robinson was on the mound and the winning run was at second base and the tying run was at third base, you're thinking Anderson's going to get a base hit here and we're going to lose. And we're going to give up everything, including scoring five in the first inning and having a 6-1 lead and having an 11-4 lead. No lead is enough right now with this bullpen. I mean, the Mets can't get their starters to go five, and they can't get anything out of their bullpen. It is rough. Even on a night when they score 11 runs, it's a drama. But they did win the game against a bad team. That's 15, 16 games under 500. So, hey, take your blessings where you can find them. Now to Barkley before I get to your emails. Listen, I know Barkley's unhappy. You know what? It's not the Giants' fault. And the Giants can't make it right because the Giants are not going to break the bank for a running back, especially one who now has had years in the league. Nobody in their right mind puts big money in a contract and guarantees it for a running back on a second contract because running backs, in essence, most of them have a five- or six-year tread life. And it's been the position in this league that has been diminished the most. Look at Super Bowl winners and look where they get their running prowess from. The teams are not built around running backs. Running backs is a complementary position now, one that is best suited by having multiple players, young multiple players at the position. So that makes Barkley very unhappy. So what can he do now? You know what he can do? He can sit out, which would be the dumbest thing he ever did, because let me explain something to Barkley right now if he doesn't get it or if people don't get it. If he sits and doesn't cash each of those game checks, that would add up to 10 points. 
$9 million this year, almost $11 million. He will never, underline, never recoup that money, ever. Nobody's going to give him a big contract. See, that's the problem. It's not like if he's out in the open market, somebody's going to throw a huge contract at him. Nobody's throwing a huge contract at a running back. Look around the league. Look at what the running backs get. Look at Jacobs. Look at Pollard. Look all over the league and see what happens. Nobody pays running backs. The bottom line is very, very few teams have a team that is reliant on the running back. You've had Henry in that situation. You have very few who are in that situation. So he can hold out through training camp legally. We all know that. He doesn't have to report until he really doesn't have to report at all, but he can report or he can start missing game checks in the regular season, but he doesn't have to report for training camp, which I think, listen, he's not going to play in preseason games anyway, but I think he should go to camp. He doesn't have to go today. He doesn't have to go tomorrow. He doesn't have to go to first week. He doesn't have to go to second week, but he needs to get into camp at a reasonable time in August and make sure he's in shape and ready for the opener and cash his checks and take his money and then move on and hope the Giants give him a fair contract down the road. I think the Giants want to keep him, but the Giants are not going to pay him. The bottom line is, sorry that you had a guy running a franchise who thought you should take a running back number two in the draft, which is ridiculous in a rebuilding situation. In any situation, but in a rebuilding situation, it's mindless. Running backs don't recoup their money. There's no market for them. It's just the way it is. The league, the teams that are smart would much rather have a young guy who is fresh legs, who they know they can get four or five years out of. Look where the championship team got their running back last year. On the last round of the draft, and he was a huge factor in the Super Bowl. You can get running backs anywhere. That's the world they live in, and they're not getting paid anywhere. It's not like he can go recoup that money. The worst advice Barkley could get would be to hold out. He will never, ever, ever recoup that money. Do not give up $11 million. Come in, play, play hard, and hopefully the Giants will give you a contract going forward that is fair. But you're never going to break the bank. Not at running back. And not as you get older at running back. Sorry. Again, Mike Francis, a podcast at gmail.com for the emails. Here we go. What did uh, Richard in Connecticut, what did Bob Shepard mean to the old ballpark? You know, when you grow up with one voice, that distinct professorial voice that Bob Shepard was, he was a speech professor at St. John's. Uh, very, very nice man, very classy guy with a wonderful, you know, tone and, you know, so precise in his pronunciation. 
Um, the names just rolled off his tongue. Broken the same time as Mickey Mantle did. And he always said that was his favorite name because of the way it just rolled off the tongue, Mickey Mantle. But he said he broke in the same time, which was 1951. He was there forever. Uh, and, you know, he became a, a part of the – he was the voice track. He was the sound of the stadium. That's it. When you thought of the stadium, you heard that voice, and you knew you were at Yankee Stadium. Nick from Boston. How do you feel about 9.30 uh, a.m. NFL games that are scattered across the season? I used to hate them, but now I uh, like them a lot. Um, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I didn't like them in the beginning. I'm a Sunday at one guy. Uh, But they don't annoy me that much now. It gives me something uh, to do to leading up to the games. Um, I don't really mind. Sometimes in September, I'll still play golf in the morning before I, uh, the NFL starts. So I might not see all the 930 game. But uh, I, I don't like the London part of it. But the 930 doesn't bother me. I don't like the games in London at all. Never have. John from Brooklyn. Assuming the Steinbrenners hold on to the franchise, are the Yankees destined to become a mid-market team? Absolutely not. I mean, I don't know where that comes from. Um, I agree with you. Remember, the Steinbrenners do not own 100% of the Yankees. They never have. George's ownership was always in the 59 to 60 percentile. They had a lot of 5 and 6% owners. Um, uh, they, you know, it has been a franchise that has produced a lot of revenue. Uh, they will never be a mid-market franchise. Do I think it's in the realm of possibility that Hal would sell the team? I do. I do think it's a possibility. Um, I don't think it's likely at this date and time, but I do think it's a possibility down the road. Uh, Dan, could the Mets TV broadcast team go down as one of the best ever? Well, I, I don't know how we rank them, you know, city by city. Um, there's some pretty bad broadcasters in TV booths. There's some very good ones. Uh, I've always been a big uh, fan of the uh, Met broadcast team. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, as we've stated many times, Gary really wanted to stay doing radio because he was the best. I think other than Vince Scully, he was the best radio uh, baseball guy in the country. Uh, he's a tremendous baseball play-by-play guy because he's uh, very smart and he's detail-oriented. Um, he didn't have a lot of personality, which he didn't need when he was doing the play-by-play. He has developed more and has been brought out, especially by Keith. Uh, there is a very good dynamic there among the three. They like each other. They set each other up very well. And they understand what chemistry means. And if you're going to have a team that's successful and – I know this because I spent 20 years in a team that was ultra successful. Um, You have to understand chemistry and how it works. And these guys do. Um, They have distinct roles. Ron has a distinct role. Keith has a distinct role, both in terms of the technical aspects and in terms of the other aspects of the broadcast. Ron's the straight man. Keith's the zany one. Okay, the other one, the colorful one the 
temperamental one, uh, the unique one, you know, all the different things, the quirky one. That's what, that, that, that's what he brings. And Gary has allowed his personality to, to evolve more on the air. So, yeah, they're, they're as good as it gets. I don't know, you know, I'm not big on rankings because they're meaningless, but uh, they're as good as it gets. You're going to have to go a long way to find a broadcast team that's better than those three. Um, Sean from Ronkonkoma. I recently watched the 30 for 30 on uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, and I loved it. Can you discuss Mike and the Mad Dog's impact on sports media? When did other cities around the country notice Mike and the Mad Dog and realize they could also uh, make money with uh, two guys arguing about sports on the radio? Um, you know, the idea of sports, a 24-hour sports talk on the dial on the radio uh, was thought to be folly. Everybody said it would fail. Everybody said it would fail. And when Dog and I went day afternoon drive, the guys who were quote-unquote radio experts all said that the show would fail and all said that the station would never be able to keep doing sports all the time. And they were colossal, colossally wrong. I mean, first we had Imus, who was obviously very, very strong in his own regard before he ever came to Sports Talk Radio. Uh, and then what Imus did is he bought into sports and he did a wonderful job of promoting the station through his ridicule. I mean, that's what, that's what his tool was, but that, it worked very well. Um, Dog and I also came through that show, so you heard a lot of us on that show which set up the afternoon well. And then came this show that really, if you ask what it meant to the uh, sports culture or sports media in this country, it was the forerunner of all these shows. It was the forerunner of uh, the interruption. It was the forerunner of any of these debate shows you see on television. We created that two-man show where two guys you know did everything they attacked issues they you know completely gave opinions on everything in sports and then they went at each other and argued about everything in the world so the bottom line is uh listen they wanted us to take that the television dog and i just did not want to do it on a day-to-day -day basis we thought remember we were doing a five and a half hour show they wanted us to do a show every night after that you're talking now uh we've been apart over 15 years we were together for 20. neither one of us ever worked with anybody else there's an uniqueness to that because you had two guys who I don't think there's any question could have been highly successful on their own who teamed up to make this once in a lifetime show. And that's what it was. And it did change everything. It really did. It had an incredible amount of influence. And I think the 30 for 30 depicted that. It changed the dial. It changed the way radio was presented in each town in each city, but it also changed the way it was delivered everywhere, on television and everywhere. And that, that was the 
really the legacy of it is it did change the culture dramatically. I don't think there's any question about that. Derek in Westchester, nobody ever talks about how Boone tinkers with his lineup every day. Well, everybody tinkers with their lineups. Uh, when the Yankees are rolling, there's still no consistency day in, day out. There is a routine to baseball, and it is non-existent in the Boone era. I, I don't think that's any different than any other team. First of all, lineups are different now. You have analytic departments that are influencing things dramatically in baseball now, which were not there in the past. Plus, you have now this uh, load mentality where uh, rest becomes a part of the process and they put rest into the schedule for each player, which they never did in the past. I mean, players, great players played every day. They played every day. You know, they played 158 games. They played 159 games. They played 162 games. They didn't sit out. They didn't rest. They didn't take days off. They didn't take periodic days off and scheduled days off. That didn't happen. They might have a day off because they had a headache or they had a stomach ache or they didn't feel well or they were just flat tired and they needed a day off. The bottom line is it didn't happen much, if at all. And listen, you had players who fought injuries throughout their entire career, like a Mantle, but Mantle still played 2,400 games in his career. That's a lot. I mean, yeah, he missed time. There's no question. Muscle pulls and problems with his knees and hip abscesses and all different things. Uh, but, the, you know, he fought through it a lot of times too. And the thing about Mantle was that he'd miss games, plus he walked and struck out a lot. So... There were a lot of times when he didn't hit the ball because, you know, he spent so much time being pitched around. You know, when Mantle was, was playing, guys didn't strike out that much. Now, guys strike out so much, it's absurd, okay? When he was in the league, he led the league in strikeouts five or six times with 106, 111. His all-time high in strikeouts was 126. Leadoff hitters now strike out more than that. Leadoff hitters. That's a common occurrence now. But here's what's not a common occurrence. 102 walks, 113 walks, 112 walks, 146 walks, 129 walks, 111 walks, 126 walks, 122 walks. That's a lot. You know, you look through the career and you see Despite the fact he rarely played 150 games, he played 150 games like four times. He played in 146, 47, 144, 144, 143, 144, 144. So, but he played 150 only a few times. But if you look and you, you know, if you want to see if a guy's a Hall of Famer, you look and see how many black marks he has, which means he led the league. And you go down and you see Mantle led the league in runs scored five times, 129, 132, 121, 127, 119. He led the league in triples with 11. 
led the league in triples and homers. Somebody asked that on the game last night and said, when was the last time a guy led the league in triples and homers? Well, Mantle did it in 1955, led the league in triples and homers. Mantle led the league in homers four times, 37, 52, 42, and 40. Only led the league in RBIs once, mainly because he didn't play enough games and because he walked so much. But here's the thing with Mantle. He only four times had 100 RBIs, and people say that is a knock. But remember, he knocked in over 90 runs, 92, 99, 94, 97, 94, 90, 89. In the years he didn't get 100, he had in the high 90s because he walked so much. He led the league in walks six times. He led the league in strikeouts five times. He led the league in batting average only once, 353. But remember, Ted Williams was there. Mantle hit 365 and didn't lead the league in hitting because Ted Williams hit higher. He hit 388. He led the league in on-base percentage multiple times. Mantle was a 420 on-base percentage guy for his career. Think about that. 421 for his career. His career OPS is almost 1,000. He led the league in OPS one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. He led the league in slugging on numerous occasions. He led the league in on base percentage on numerous occasions. Mantle had a year in 57 when he had a, which is the, his 56 and 57 wars are among the highest of all time. He had a 512 on base percentage. Think about this year. In 57, after winning the Triple Crown and leading the major leagues in five positions, five stats, he led the major leagues, both leagues, in all five key stats. He hit 365. He had 146 walks. His on-base percentage was 512. And his OPS for the year was almost 1.2 for the season. He led the league in OPS seven times and almost had a 1,000. And I guarantee if I break him off after 64, he would have had a 1,000 for his career. Or a one, you can say you want to call it a one, whatever you want to call it. You know, everyone uses a different terminology. But the bottom line is, you know, 0.9 is a great number. Having one closer to 1.0 is superstar. He was almost 1.0 for his career. And if you cut it off 51 to 64, all his stats went down from 65 to 68 because he hung around. But I guarantee you he was a one for his career after 64. Led the league in OPS plus like 10 times. Led the league in total bases multiple times. I mean, uh, led the league in so many. I mean, the whole career is black marks. That's how you tell dominance. But you see how much it's changed now. You see how much these guys strike out. Volpe's going to strike out over 200 times. He's already struck out well over 100 times. And he chases that high fastball like crazy. That is a tough pitch to hit. It really is. You're going to go chasing 
that high with that high fastball, you're going to have a hard time. But he'll live and learn. He seems to have make adjustments a couple of times during the season. Hopefully he'll make another one. So the Yankees have a day game today in Anaheim. Uh, and then obviously they'll head home. And hopefully, hopefully they'll uh, figure things out. But right now they are a struggling, struggling ball club in the highest sense of the word. I mean, they do have an easy weekend because the Royals, who are deadly bad, as bad as the A's. I mean, the Royals haven't even won 30 games yet this year. The Royals have won 28 at 28 and 60 at their 40 games under 500, come in for a weekend set. If the Yankees can't get healthy then, I don't know when they're going to get healthy. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.